This is Corolla Digital. This is Reasonable Doubt with your hosts, Mark Garrigus and Adam Corolla. Yeah, get it on. Got to get it on. No choice, but get a mandate. Get it on. And welcome to Reasonable Doubt. I'm Adam Corolla. That's Mark. Hard out. Soft taco Garagos coming from his New York City office. How are you, Mark? I'm wonderful. How about you, Adam? I'm good. Uh, I think we should state at the top of the show that this is going to be my last show for a period of time. Uh, nothing to do with Mark or the show or anything other than my schedule has just gotten more and more packed and I'm just backing off some of the shows, not ACS and not Dr. Drew, but uh, Ace on the House and Reasonable Doubt and uh, CarCast. I will be taking a sabbatical to free up time for other projects and at some point we will reconstitute this. But Mark's going to carry on with Gary. I'm going sol- to soldier on with, we're going to get, you know, uh, we may start with a couple of retired federal prosecutors to sit in for you since you know that's been your uh moniker for the last how long we've been doing this uh, nine years yeah yeah mark's got a long wide reach his name is respected and recognized outside of his home of course <laughs> not within the friendly confines of his own home but once he leaves the property he is a highly respected and highly regarded um, citizen and attorney and could probably get a who's who of uh, legal experts and notable people to uh, come in and rock the mic with him along with Gary as well. So we got we got that to uh, look forward to. And uh, you know, from time to time, uh, hopefully uh, God and Mark willing, I will uh, pop in and say hi and get people caught up. Um, and I love it. You really have a lot of exciting things uh, ahead of you here. So I'm there's one that we can't talk about yet that I'm personally very excited about. So we'll just wait and tease that. Yeah. Also, and uh, I'm going to be everywhere. So you can just go to amcurl.com and find out what city I'm going to be in. So, Mark, what's on your mind? Is there stuff? In, got, I have stuff. I'm, yeah, well, I was going to say, why don't we'll, we'll end with Murdoch because they're doing the closing arguments as we speak. But I was going to say, if there isn't stuff on your mind, I don't know you from the last almost a decade. I was uh, I mean, I guess as we speak, the Supreme Court is considering uh, the Biden uh, student loan. Uh, now, he's not getting rid of student loans, but he's paying off $10,000 of student yeah, loan or something. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And, you know, it's very interesting because if you, uh, as anybody who's listened to this for the last number of years will know, it's you can generally or we generally try to read the tea leaves from the oral arguments. And the oral arguments yesterday were very interesting because the chief justice uh, was asking, can you explain to me basically how um, canceling billions of dollars of debt is qualifies as a modification or is comports with the word modify? Now, what and, what Biden's relying on is after nine eleven, they we gave the president the right to forgive student loans for veterans. And people that may have been, I think, enlisting to go fight a a foreign war, which uh, 
that made sense to me. I think most Americans would say, yeah, the guy wants to enlist and he has student loans and he's now going to quit his job and join join forces with Uncle Sam, then I could see us forgiving that student loan. But I think Biden is now taking that and trying to spread it across the land. But it doesn't feel like that one's going to hold up. Well, given the questioning yesterday, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that the only question is, uh, does it get overturned by 5-4 or 6-3 if we're going to prognosticate? Because I'm not so sure that Chief Rogers Rod, Roberts is going to um, uh, be on the side of the three votes that I think are going to vote to say that it's okay and that the statutory interpretation is basically given a wide berth that you can say this is a modification and therefore it's okay because that's what they're I think what's going to come down to they're going to say that this exceeds any statutory interpretation of what the language is and that they're basically trying to put a square peg into a uh, circle. Are we at the point with the Supreme Court and has it always been this way or if it has always been this way, to what extent that we're now, it sort of reminds me of Sotomayor talking about, you know, mandatory vaxxing or something like that. You know, that we, we rely on the Supreme Court to say that's overreach from the judicial ban- branch or the executive branch. Like, no, you're not allowed just to tell all Americans they have to be vaccinated or they can't go back to work. And then we go to the Supreme Court and they go, oh, argue that out. Tell us how, the, how this is. Or you're not allowed from the executive branch just to cancel or modify school debt. Uh, OK, Supreme Court, argue about that. Now, I'm not a I'm not a historian, but if I was on the Supreme Court, regardless of Democrat or Republican, I'd go, no, you're not allowed to tell everyone in America to take a experimental vaccination that that crosses some sort of line. And so I'm going to say no to that. But then you have crackpots like Sotomayor up there screaming about uh, hundreds of thousands of kids on ventilators. And clearly, I don't think from a judicial standpoint, she would agree with it. But politically, her guy told her, this is what I want to do. And so she's agreeing with that guy or that party are we are we just there now well i think that if you look back at bush versus gore uh that's where the this is kind of uh, baked into the dna now because you could have inverted that uh decision um politically if it if the roles have been reversed and i think um uh, that has done some extreme damage to the jurisprudence ever since. And the, now there is the common perception that you've just articulated. And by the way, there are plenty of examples. You can go through recent Supreme court opinions where you could prognosticate what the results going to be, depending on which side um, uh, the, the administration right. may take. Right. So it, it's safe to say that Sotomayor will be pushing this on the side of Biden, right? Yeah, I think that when I talked about the three votes, because I I uh, keep talking about the the Supreme Court and the rule of threes, you've got the three votes, which are Kagan and now KTJ and um, uh, the third. And uh, then you've got the 
three that are on the 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 right and then you've got amy it's starting to become amy coney barrett and roberts um uh kind of in the three with kavanaugh i suppose and then on the right you've got the um uh the other three which are clarence thomas and and um alito and what you find is is when they break off and the um uh, you know one of the guys who i love his writing i disagree with a lot of his uh philosophy though you know, out of the 10th circuit it's not Kavanaugh, but the 10th Circuit Justice, who or former 10th Circuit Justice, who's up there and was the first appointee by Trump. He tends to go, um, uh, he has kind of a, a an articulated judicial philosophy that he hews to, uh, whereas Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh are not as predictable. The chief, you can, I think, you can with in terms of reading the tea leaves he's more of he's been described as somebody who likes to go incremental he doesn't like large pronouncements um uh, and i think that's that explains or gives um uh the the explanation and dobbs gives explanation back to obamacare and his decision there he, when i say incremental he will limit generally his decision to the narrowest question possible, as opposed to kind of a grand or wide ranging pronouncement. Well, thank God Sotomayor didn't get her way and force every 12 year old to get vaxxed. Uh, I, you know, you don't you only get 10 minutes away from these idiots arguments and then you go, oh, good. We Thank God we didn't listen to you, bitch, because this shit. This is already turning into a shit show, but okay. I'm glad you well, wanted to force everyone. You know what I've everyone. been watching? What I've been watching and thinking about you this whole week is all of the revelations. You know, the latest is that, and uh, Chris Ray, who's the head of the FBI, has been talking or was just interviewed about it. Now, the Department of Energy of all um, uh, departments has come out, and they're now they're giving credence to the lab leak theory, and people were saying. Somebody I was just was telling me this yesterday and saying, well, you know, we didn't know at the time nobody was saying that nobody was giving it credence at the time. And I said, I've got a certain guy that I've been doing a podcast with who was giving it credence uh, more than 24 months ago. Well, I heard some idiot on MSNBC trot out the term Occam's razor. Right. He's like, right. you just right. got to use Occam's razor. Of course, it came from a pangolin. And it's like, if you're using Occam's razor, idiot, it came from a lab that worked on such viruses and was funded by the military. That's that's the most likely Occam's razor. Occam's razors. What's the most likely? What's the most likely is the military-based lab up the street, not the wet market. So I don't even know well, why you would and trot by that. By the way, I think that some will remember who listened to us. I'm trying to find one of them here. Um, what we kept saying in real time, if you'll remember, and uh, the one of the things that I thought made so much um, sense was, how in the world do you uh expect anybody to believe that it came from a wet market 
and that the Chinese determined that in real time with such speed and such precision that they knew to instantly clamp down and lock down. Right. And by the way, why would you believe China on anything ever? That's it's a rogue nation. And we're all like, well, the Chinese said uh, so. That's good enough for us. It'll keep going. It'll be Fauci. It'll be Pfizer. It'll it'll be gain of function. It'll be WHO and funding of gain of it's all going to it all come. It'll all make sense soon. It's coming. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Um, but yes, thank you, bizarre world and media for trying to destroy people's lives who had the notion that maybe the virus came from the lab that works on such viruses. We have uh, one of my favorites, which is uh, Randy Weingarten, who I think she is my, she would be my poster child for hysterical shrews in charge of policy. Now, she's not in charge of policy. She's in charge of bending people who are in charge of policy her direction because she runs. I don't know what the student. Oh, she's the president of uh, American Federation of Teachers. So the way it works is the politicians are in the pocket of the teachers unions and the teachers for reasons unknown do not want to go back to work so then she pressures the politician and then they shut the schools and then the kids suffer magically the schools are open in many other states there doesn't seem to be a problem no different between disneyland being closed and disney world being open you have an a and a b once Disney World has been open for six months, Gavin Newsom, maybe you could entertain the notion of opening Disneyland in California. No, we shall not. Once schools are open in Florida and Texas and Wyoming, could we flirt with the notion of opening schools here in Los Angeles, California? No, we cannot. And so Randy and my my theory is a crazy shrews setting policy. We had health director Barbara Ferrer destroy our city and our economy because she's a crazy shrew. But I think Randy is at the top of, of my list because she's so animated. Hold on. We're having a small sound issue here. Give me just a second. So I saw this and immediately thought of you and it's interesting because this week we had a, um, uh, you always ask about Tin Horn. We had a court, you know, there's two different tracks. The Tin Horn were suing affirmatively Burbank, and we've survived and we've got trial set for this year. They also, uh, Tin Horn got sued by the county, and the county keeps raising issues and we keep litigating it. And uh, it came very close to having the uh, case, uh, the case. The county sued Tinhorn Flats. We cross complained. Judge was going to dismiss after some argument. She reversed that. So we're still alive against the county under a freedom of assembly uh, rule of uh, the, that, by the way, is found in the First Amendment of the Constitution. And yeah. the art, the art, yeah, the argument is as well, they weren't targeted. That's what the county says. We didn't target. 
um, to Nord Flats, to which my response is, oh, really? I have cross-examined already in the separate health uh, hearing the inspector who went out there every single day because Barrett was out shooting his mouth off complaining about it. And you think that out of all, how many restaurants I've heard are in Southern California, something like 30,000, and I may be grossly underestimating it. And out of all of those restaurants, where did they go every single day to cite for the violation of outdoor dining? Uh, the guy who was kind of the tip of the spear, so to speak. So we've got 30 days to do that. And that's an update. And we'll, we've already survived on Burbank and have a trial date. Now it's uh, against the county as well. And the county keeps arguing also, amazingly to me, that, well... All we did was suspend the license. Burbank's the one who took the real action there. And my, my, uh, I, I have to chuckle each time I hear that argument. Who are you kidding? The county was the one who initiated all of this parade of horribles. And just bigger picture, we, the, <clears throat> the county made a decree based on nothing. Just, Right. Based on no data, outdoor dining, shut it down. Um, the businesses, the small businesses, bent over backwards and spent thousands and ten thousands, tens of thousands of dollars complying to get outdoors. Then somebody decided no outdoor dining in a world where at the time when you were flying, you were told to mask up in between bites. It's a non-science, insane world, or you could walk through the restaurant with your mask on, but then when you sat down, you had to take the mask off, and you ate and drank, And that, but if you got up to go to the bathroom. Based on zero science, the follow the science people with no data, no science, took businesses that were already sort of wobbling with one bad leg and took a goddamn baseball bat and capped the one good knee they had. That's what they decided to do. And God forbid some family-owned business of 50 years dare to stand up to the insane proclamations that were being made, totalitarian proclamations by the government. God forbid somebody make their voice heard in that situation, and then the county then took their size and their might and their power, and they came down on them like a, a herd of turtles and crushed them. Is that a society that you want to live in? Is what I'm is what I'm saying to all my assholes, all the assholes who live in Los Angeles. I know you love these people. I know you voted for these people. I get it. Is this how you want to live? Is this a good thing? Is this American? Is is this the future? Because we're marching toward it, you idiots, and you're leading the charge. No business should have, should have shut down outdoor dining. There should have been a mass protest. and sin. Hollywood should have been leading the charge on this. They're cowards and hypocrites. And, of course, now there's this. Thank God there's guys like Mark Garagos out there who are willing to stand up, by the way, against the side he votes for because they're doing something that is – so fundamentally wrong. It's this isn't a you know sixty forty split. This is ninety nine to one. They have no argument for what they did. It was wildly unconstitutional, and they should be punished. 
Well, it uh, what uh, what blows me away about it is that you have uh, uh, this is grounded in the First Amendment, the freedom of assembly, and for to retaliate against somebody for voicing an opinion is basically the the essence of the First Amendment and the dismissive way that people treat that to me is just an affront. I just don't get it. I don't understand why you would say, wait, we've shut down. Because by the way, this is exactly what they were targeting. Think back. They were targeting the congregation of people. They didn't want people to congregate. I've said it many times. The health czar of the state, when he heard that the trial judge was going to overturn this, um, said, well, there really, we know basically, in essence, we know there's no scientific evidence. We just want to get people inside. We don't want them congregating publicly. Unless, of course, it was in protest, because then we made an exception when there were protests right smack dab in the same breath. Yeah, of course. This is where Fauci jumped the shark. I was like, I'm done with him. He's been compromised. All right, we have uh, Randy. And frankly, and this is what really pisses me off, during the pandemic, we understood that small businesses were hurting. And we helped them. And it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. Big businesses were hurting. And we helped them. And it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it. The corporations challenge it. The student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right. That is not fair. And that is what we are fighting as well when we say cancel student debt. I'd like to you know, sterilize me, everybody in that crowd, males and let me, females. Let me just make a couple of observations here from a legal standpoint. If you want to get into, she was, by the way, she's on the steps, I believe, of the U.S. Supreme Court. And she's screaming about the argument that is being made to the nine justices uh, to cancel student debt, which is what we started this conversation on. And she's saying she's comparing the canceling of student debt to the idea of the PPP restaurant revitalization and those programs. Now, so that you understand what the legal issues are, because, you know, I don't disagree with the, with this idea. Yes, there was, there were PPP funding. Yes, there was restaurant revitalization. Yes, there were um, COVID uh, in, uh, hiring credits. All of that I agree with. And if you agree with that, then why not intellectually? Why not say, okay, then we should help out on student debt. I, I can see that argument and I endorse that argument. That's fine. But let me point out what the difference is. For the aforementioned things, whether it was PPP, um, restaurant revitalization, which is a separate program, there was a, it was enacted by the legislature, signed by the executive. We went through the process. What the complaint is here is that this cancellation of the student debt did not go through that process, that this was done 
And the argument is, the legal argument, by fiat, by trying to say that you could do it because it's merely a modification. It wasn't, this wasn't passed in the houses and sent as a bill to the president's desk for him to sign. So if you've got a complaint, you can sit and scream on the steps of the Supreme Court and you can yell at Gorsuch and you can yell at Thomas and you can yell at Alito and you can yell at Roberts and Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett because those are the most likely ones to find that this exceeds the scope of what the language of the bill that was enacted by the legislature is. But the who you really should be screaming at is your legislators. Have them do it. You should be telling them you're the one, you know, in California, we, you and I often talk, the two most powerful political influencers, if you will, are the teachers unions and the correctional officers unions. They're the ones who really influence the policymakers. And so if you're and the policymakers are the legislature. So if you want this done and it's a noble goal, you want to get rid of it, then have the legislature do it. Very good point. All right. Uh, Murda. Yes. I think Gary's got, a, as we're recording this, they're doing the closing arguments. Gary, if you want to play, I think you've got part of an interesting part of the argument by the prosecutor. Oh, that's one right. of the most what? important concepts. <laughs> Wait, did Randy get in? Randy got into the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, right. They could just hear her. <laughs> All the way down in South Carolina. 1,200 miles away, they could still hear that shrew crowing on the steps. One of the most important concepts is the fundamental role, one of the fundamental roles while y'all are here. As the judge has told you, he's the judge of the law, but y'all are the judge of the facts. And what does judge of the facts mean? Well, a big part of that is that you determine credibility. You determine believability. You determine which witnesses you want to rely on or not rely on. You can rely on a part of a witness's testimony, all the witnesses' testimony, one against many, many against one. It's up to each one of you individually to make that determinations and decisions and then to collectively discuss those into a group decision. But credibility is important. Is it believable? Is what somebody's telling you believable? And there's many things you can consider in credibility, but... A few of those are the demeanor of the witness on the witness stand, whether the witness has a reason to be biased, whether the testimony of the witness was contradicted on one hand or supported or corroborated on another, whether the witness has been dishonest in the past. And again, you can believe witnesses all against one, one against others, and you can believe portions of a witness's testimony as you see fit. Same thing goes for experts. Expert is a legal determination. Hold on for one second, Gary, because I want to talk about it. This is interesting to me. I, If I'm the defense lawyer, if I'm Dick or Jim who are trying this case, that's precisely what I would be arguing. Mm-hmm. I would be arguing that one portion of credibility where it says many witnesses against one. The law is that Alex Murdoch can get up there. And by the way, you would you'd kind of condition it by he didn't have to take the stand. I couldn't keep him off the stand. He was up there. He told his story. And the law recognizes that he can tell the story. And 
not only can he tell it, but he could be contradicted by a great many people. And that doesn't mean he's lying. You could disregard um, uh, the others if you if you believe him. So it's an interesting kind of flip of what the uh, prosecution and defense usually does. Usually it's the defense. I mean, the prosecution is up there saying, use your common sense, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a uh, the old uh, you know, uh, circumstantial evidence is as good as direct evidence and that whole route. But anyway, Gary, play next, and then we'll see how he finishes it off. Same thing goes for experts. Expert is a legal determination that allows them to give an opinion. Just because someone's qualified as an expert doesn't mean that you have to accept their opinion. You can judge that based on the, your assessment of the credibility and the relevance and the believability of that testimony. There's nothing different about that when someone's an expert. Beyond a reasonable doubt, I talked about this at the beginning of the case. And it's our burden. It's a burden we welcome. It's how this system works, that we have to prove the guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And what is a reasonable doubt? A reasonable doubt is a doubt that makes a reasonable, honest, sincere juror hesitate to act. It's proof that a reasonable person would not hesitate to rely on in their affairs. But a reasonable doubt is not and leaves you firmly convinced of the guilt of the defendant. So, Mark, would you put your client on the stand if you're defending Murdoch? Yes, I I, uh, I will tell you that uh, that I don't think he had anything to lose. Uh, he was facing... It basically is facing life without parole in South Carolina because of the kind of unique nature of their sentencing scheme for violating a fiduciary and trust. So he's facing on the financial crimes. He's already facing life without. Does he want to go down as the murderer of his wife and his son? Absolutely not. So if he's already going to get and the the evidence, I know that I'm always the one preaching presumption of innocence, but by the way, the evidence was overwhelming on the uh, embezzlement. So he knows that. He's a smart man. He's a lawyer. He's been in that courtroom. He's been a prosecutor. He knows that. So why would you not take the stand, deny it? And by all accounts, it's kind of interesting the way this has been reported. It's been reported by some reporters that jurors were crying during the time he was testifying. It's been reported by other reporters that they were not. You have to be in the courtroom, obviously. You got to see it yourself. Even people who are in the courtroom have different views. I I tend to think, uh, given what I saw, even though I'm not looking at the jurors, that there, there's going to be some reasonable doubt amongst some of those jurors. Now, the question becomes, and I was trying to explain this to somebody yesterday. You would understand it because I've explained it too many times. When you get back there, there's always going to be divisions. I mean, almost always. I mean, sometimes you get quick verdicts when they're when a case is either collapsed for the prosecution or it's uh, or it's overwhelming for the prosecution, but. In most cases, there's going to be a disagreement. Then it comes down to the dynamics of the 12 people. Who's got the stronger personalities? Who's got the better argument? Did the lawyers do the job by understanding 
who the stronger personalities were that were going to be able to articulate their point? And did you give them the arguments that they can then marshal to point to the evidence when they're arguing back in deliberations? And that's what closing arguments about. And by the way, once again, I, I, I'm amazed by this prosecutor because he's making, he's arguing the points and the law that I normally would be arguing for the, as a, as somebody who's defending the case. Well, you can continue to get marks and uh, whatever notable guests on, including Gary, uh, as well. If you continue listening to the show, which I highly suggest that you do. Um, I will take my sabbatical, but I shall return. I'll be uh, in Vegas March uh, 9th over at Jimmy Kimmel's uh, Comedy Club and then Naples, Florida. I was just talking to our friend John. He said he's I was out. just John invited. He said, what, the 24th and 25th? Yeah, I said, we'll try to see if Garagos is in town. I said, uh, knock yourself out, Johnny. But uh, we'll, uh, I'll be in there on uh, 24th, 25th off the Comedy Club. Mark, what do you got? I'm going to uh, do a pitch for Alex Anani. Go to alexanani.com. Also subscribe to LA Magazine, Orange Coast Magazine. And if you're looking for something to eat and you're in New York, stop by Grand Central. Go by either Prova Pizza, Dirty Taco. Say hi to Jake. Um, try the duck skin, in my uh, humble opinion. Mm. That's the best thing he does. Yeah. And if you're in uh, Los Angeles, uh, stop by Engine Company 28 downtown or at uh, LAX Terminal 8. So until next time, Adam Carolla for Mark, Hard Out, Soft Taco, Garagos, say it, mahalo. Thanks for listening to Reasonable Doubt. Tune in next Saturday for an all-new episode. This is Corolla Digital. All month long on Pluto TV, stream the biggest Tyler Perry movies free. Watch your favorites like Medea's Witness Protection and Medea's Big Happy Family. Join Tyler Perry as he goes on a couples retreat with Sharon Leal in Why Did I Get Married? Or Idris Elba and Gabrielle Union in the Tyler Perry directed film Daddy's Little Girls. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Hi, I'm Caitlin Van Maul, host of I Survived. If you enjoy I Survived, we are excited to announce a new launch. Starting November 15th, we'll be reposting our classic episodes from season one of I Survived. We hope to reach a whole new audience with these important stories of survival. And for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, we think these powerful episodes warrant another listen. Starting November 15th, look out for those episodes and more news from I Survived. 